Welcome to the Kickstarter Journeys podcast brought to you by Fundamental Games. Each episode will provide you with some insight and opinions about successfully funded Kickstarter projects from the creators themselves. Here's your host, Wes Woodbury, ready to learn about another successful journey from the popular crowdfunding platform. Enjoy! Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Kickstarter Journeys. Today we have with us the creator of a game called Mantis Falls, a game of trust. Hey, Julie, how are you doing today? Doing well. How are you? I'm doing all right. Another fun day and another fun podcast. So, <laughs> Now, Mantis Falls is a like life. It's like life. It's a cooperative game that's only really cooperative sometimes. It's an award-winning strategy deduction and betrayal game for two to three players. And I thought that was a really uh, interesting player account, which we'll talk about as we go through. But uh, what I always like to start with, Julie, is what got you into Kickstarter and the decision to make board games? Uh, That's a great question. So my partner, Adrian, and I, uh, we've been working on this game for about five years now. And we've always been really into tabletop games. We had a long-distance relationship about five years ago. And we were playing a lot of virtual tabletop games, which, (laughs) I mean, maybe we never found the right ones. Maybe that was just it. But uh, we found that not a lot of interaction. It sort of felt like you were playing against AI or, you know, like a computer or something. Like we would talk on the phone and that was all fine, but it never really felt like it was immersive or interactive in the way that we wanted it to be. So neither of us really (laughs) fancied ourselves game creators at all. Um, but Adrian was in the middle of this very insanely stressful year at work. Um, and he, he happens to do this thing, um, when he's very stressed that he's these like strokes of inspiration, artistic inspiration. So he makes music and, um, he does some, uh, some graphic design stuff. And so he had this idea for the game that sort of like is the game that we wanted to play. We loved social deduction games. We would have like, you know, big group gatherings and things like that. Um, a little bit less like love them in the sense that you know it's it's um enjoyable interaction but then also it's sort of like both of us are very logic oriented people and so it'd be like I think it's Shirley and everyone would be like oh yeah it's probably Shirley and you're like no 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 that doesn't make any sense and then people will be like ah eh, kind of seems like it's her and you're like wait what no like so we wanted something that was a little bit more strategic than that but there's also just there was nothing that we could play just the two of us um And so it was sort of this weird convolution of things of like, we were looking for immersive interactive games. We both knew we loved this genre of gaming, but we wanted something that was um, a little bit more strategic, a little bit more intimate. Um, And so we did not at that point in time know a ton about, we didn't know anything about the world of game publishing. And actually when we printed the first um, demo copy we got like a um, box from Zazzle, <laughs> you know, like a, yeah, just like printed and printed a picture on the top of a box from Zazzle. Didn't re- even realize that you can go through like, you know, Board Games Maker or Print and Play or something like that and get demo copies made. Yeah, had yeah. no idea. So we we basically had, any, you know, an idea. We were excited about the game. We were, I was doing all the art for it. Adrian was doing the, um, the mechanics. We were playtesting like, I mean, every night, two times a night after our kids went to bed. And, um, we, by a great stroke of luck, um, managed to meet a, a couple of guys in town here in Athens, Georgia, who are um, 
uh, who run Keymaster Games, which did Parks, uh, which is you know was on nice. the board board game geek um, for best best art. Um, so this was be- way before they did that. They had just run their first Kickstarter um, successfully, and we talked to them about their experience. We had no idea Kickstarter was the route to go for these kinds of things, or one route at least. They got us into board game designers uh, sort of play group where we would play test games uh, once a month with other designers in the Atlanta, Athens area. And so we really started, that was, that was where we started to realize, oh, you know, there are resources for us to print. There are publishers we can pitch to. There are, there's Kickstarter. And that's a really common one these days, which we, we had no idea how, how big a um, machine Kickstarter was for this kind of thing. And it just seemed like, you know, I'd done so much of the art he had worked so hard on the mechanics. Felt like if we went through a publisher, we were going to lose creative control um, a little bit, you know, like um, yeah. and even though neither of us were terribly interested in being the the business end of things, um, it felt like if we wanted this to really be our own, um, then then Kickstarter was maybe the way to go. But also I get think the bit, bigger thing is that we had we had people to draw on. We had people who published through Kickstarter to great success to talk to about how to how to do it um and then they they got us connected with other people and so that was really i think what convinced us was that we, we just had the resources to to think that we could maybe do kickstarter right yeah it's pretty astounding i mean if if you look at the numbers you guys had over six thousand people back at one hundred eighty-five thousand dollars raised uh, just on a goal of eight thousand so it really uh extreme success for a first Kickstarter and a first game. Thanks. And um, just that uh, creative outlet, it's great that Adrian was able to put his creativity to good use and your artwork uh, really embellishes the theme of the game. So um, what, what did it feel like when you passed your first 10,000 and then your 50,000? Oh so, uh, okay, so we, we, you know, we're on board game uh, or tabletop Kickstarter advice group on Facebook, which is it might not, who knows, I don't know all of the places to go for Kickstarter advice, but it seems like maybe it's the place to be to figure out how to do this uh, well and, yeah. you know, get advice from other people. So um, we were following the advice of people on there and they were saying, oh, you got to have 2000 people on your mailing list and all that. And we had, I think, like 1200. And so when we launched, you know, there were there were some things that made us feel good about it. I mean, we had good reviews. We had, um, you know, some people be pretty positive about it. Some people we went and showed at PAX were positive about it. But, you know, we pressed the launch button and we we're like, let's see, you know, maybe maybe we'll fund. We yeah, were yeah. we had no idea the kind of support that we had. No idea at all. Like that when we when we pressed launch. And it was like five seconds later that we were already at a thousand. And I was like, what? Like, this is a, this is a um, mistake. And then it was two hours that we hit our mark. Um, I mean, it was truly towards the end of the campaign. We, um, (laughs) we looked at our, our uh, demographics on Kickstarter and on like uh, some of our Google tracking and stuff. We saw that there's like, there were tons of backers from this one sort of really obscure town in North Carolina or something. And so we looked it up and we're like, like something weird, like 30% of our backers (laughs) in this weird, weird, obscure town. And so we looked it up and people were saying like, there's a lot, there's a, there's a big router or something or big uh, server farm there. And so a lot of spam goes through this server farm. We're like, 
oh, well, that's it. Like, this is all fake. This is like, there's a few really nice people who are here and supporting us, but like 90% of this is just um, bots that are spamming our Kickstarter and I'm not sure why. Um, so it felt, I mean, true surreal to the point that the entire time we were like, well, this isn't right. <laughs> yeah, well, it definitely came true. I mean, and what about like uh, some people wonder if they should um, include other countries or not because of the dangers and, and uncertainty of shipping to other countries. But you had 700 backers from the UK. You had 400 backers from Australia, 300 from Germany. I mean, this oh, game yeah. just exploded everywhere. How, how, what was your take on shipping worldwide versus just North oh. America? Oh, man, it's a nightmare. We we didn't have any idea what we were getting into with that. I don't know we would have done it the same way if we'd really yeah. known at that point. Um, so we had we'd, we'd based everything on um, we were using QML in our early days, and we they'd never told us about dimensional shipping, which was a big deal. Apparently, they were, they were giving us the box sizes, and they were like, okay, for this weight of game, you know, here's what you can expect to pay. And they didn't tell us that for that box size, the minimum is four pounds, even though our game is a little over pound. Um, oh. Yeah. And so we looked at, they, they told us that mid campaign, we're like, oh my God, <laughs> like we have, we're going to go bankrupt. This is crazy. Yeah, the game changer, and, then, yes. and, and also mid campaign, we found out about all of the, that stuff um, associated with shipping into other countries. Like we knew about duties. We knew about like all the cost to import and stuff, but we realized about the VAT. Um, so it was a lot of hustle mid-campaign to get all of our ducks in a row for that international shipping. We were like, oh, we want just, you know, anyone who's interested in it to be able to get their hands on it. Um, we ended up yeah. having 63 countries represented um, in our final. Like We got like um, uh, two in Cambodia. <laughs> which oh, yeah. is, I love the idea that someone in Cambodia is going to be playing Mantis Falls next year. Um, right. But yeah, it was it was it's pretty tough logistically, and I'm still going through a lot of the legal tax aspects, talking to consultants, especially with uh, Brexit, and then there's new laws coming into the um, the EU regarding taxes and stuff. So it's it's definitely like a nightmare to to get things shipped to other countries, in a lot of ways. But also, I mean, I feel like if you're gonna if you're gonna make a push to be, um, you know a, a not omnipresent, so to say, but you know, if you want to, if you want to really get recognized in the game world, I feel like you need support, especially from the EU. There's so much gaming going on in the EU, and I mean, that's such a tastemaker, especially in Germany, for what's considered a a great game. So. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a lot of the the most well-known awards come from there. Mm-hmm. I think your game has to be produced in their language to be considered, but even then, if yes. you're playing it, that's a good sign. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and uh, uh, speaking of awards, like one of the things that you had on your advertisement page is that you had won some awards. So when I looked at that, you had um, a PAX South Indie Showcase Award and you'd mentioned a game was at PAX. You had a Game to Gather is Gold Award and the Board Game Mechanics, just kind of an independent YouTube group, uh, uh-huh. gave you their accepted seal. Um, do you think having uh, some kind of renown or um, award listed on your site helps with the marketing? For sure. So, I mean... For for us being, you know, we we didn't we weren't even in the wider gaming community as of two years ago. It was it was us and our kids, and that was it. Basically, we we knew almost no one outside of our family who played board games. So that we came from, you know, from that to having to earn the trust of you know thousands of people. Um, reviews played a big part in that. Uh, having the game available through things like 
uh, tabletop simulator, uh, offering the print and play early on. I think all of that sort of lent some credibility, but I think I think awards, you know, something like PAX, PAX is a um, big name, so that helps a lot. Um, and I think I think just uh, I think just showing that it's a it's a quick and easy way, you know, people look at the little laurels and they're just like somebody accepts this. Somebody doesn't just say like, it's, it's cool. It's good, but says it's um, great to them. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It just kind of stands out. And, and to me, sometimes you don't even look at the name of who gave you the award. It's like, Oh, they want some awards. I'll keep scrolling. Exactly. Exactly. So even, I mean, even small awards, I mean, we didn't expect to get anything big. We actually just, we got very, very lucky and we got, um, the uh, Indiecade uh, nomination for independent, the International Independent Gaming Festival, which is usually, um, it's mostly video games, but they um, accept tabletop games as well. Um, and that's a, um, I guess has been called the, um, what's the, what's the big indie film festival? Sundance of the, um, of the gaming world, at least for video games. So I think right. that'll, um, you know, and, and that's based on, you know, playing the game where versus just pitching, here's the idea and here's the art and stuff like that. So the ones to us that, that are, you know, other people independently playing our games versus people saying like, oh, it looks like an interesting idea, um, much more, much more valuable. Absolutely. Yeah. And you've got tons of quotes littered throughout your page. You've got some great videos on there. So you can tell that the game was uh, put through the ringer by a number of people and made it through with lots of success. Uh, when Thank we you. were launching your game, you um, you came up with a budget of 8,000. Was that based on making a print run of 500 or was it based on a manufacturer in the U.S. or in China? Yeah, so that was based on a manufacturer in China print run of 1,500. Um, okay. And it with with some buffer in there of like what we were willing to contribute ourselves. So we, we basically said, you know, if we were to uh, invest as much as we were, you know, able to and willing to, uh, and then Kickstarter covered the rest. You know, we just we just wanted it to get out there in some capacity. So that was our intention. Um, we didn't really we didn't really like short it very much in the way that that people sometimes do. You know, like you see like a goal of a thousand or something. It was pretty close to the actual mark of what it was going to cost to get it produced. So, um, but basically we were going to eat. You know, the freight and we were going to eat. Um, uh, all kinds of other aspects of the cost of so the storage, the um, uh, the duties and stuff like that. So that all we, we were just like, you know, we'll be happy if anybody plays the game, honestly. And so then you, you jump from expecting to make 1500 and hoping that and then you have to make at least 7000. So I imagine you probably made 10,000. What, what did your cost per game? You don't have to say what it was, but how dramatically did that reduce for you? Um, you know, it didn't at all. Uh, and that's partly because we, so we always really kind of felt that the stretch goals would, would really be for our backers. So mm -hmm. we made our stretch goals, um, so that basically the cost of our game never changed, but as okay. we got more backers, so, so as we you increased in funding, you kind of, as you increased in funding, you kind of replaced it with the cost of more components. Yeah, and I think and I think probably in retrospect and, and also in talking to other game developers, people would say that that was, I don't know, naive or something. I know there's a there's a consistent um, number that gets thrown around of like five or six times the landed cost is what your MSRP should be. Um, and we'd heard that and sort of stuck by that. 
Uh, we talked to other people and they were saying like, oh, if you want to be serious about this, it needs to be seven or eight times or even nine because you're accounting for all these middlemen of like, you know, if you go into localization or if you go into distribution, you need buffer on top of that. And so I think I think potentially what we ought to have done was to um, be able to accept a little bit of that buffer for ourselves and say that our, our um, multiplier goes up a little bit. But yeah. I don't know. We always we always sort of felt like we there we just had this idea of what what the game would be if it was our our ideal version, and we just felt so lucky that we actually got to hit it because if we hadn't hit the number of backers that we had, which is like I mean, our dream version of the game is what we're getting to produce, which is it just incredible. Exactly. So if we hadn't hit that and, number, and you, of backers, and you did bring in some so really it. fantastic uh, some fantastic meeples there, you're. Um, umbrella meeples, your wooden rose meeples, even the buttons are just kind of a classic Thank you. Uh, component for this game. So well done. Thanks. I appreciate that. So that's great. And you had quite a few different uh, tiers on your Kickstarter campaign. Some people struggle with creating different tier, tier levels and know, knowing what to put or what's too much. One of the ones you had that was very successful was your ally tier. So yeah. it was $150, but you had 65 people that were willing to pay that much. And they only got one copy of the game. But the, the perk was that they got a likeness of themselves on a card. Did you yeah. find that was difficult to to get sold or to create? I I was honestly, I thought that was just going to be for friends and family. You know, <laughs> we were, we were going to put that out there and that was just going to be a, a way for, you know, our parents to sip or just a little bit extra, you know, or like say thanks or something, you know, like we could we could say thanks to people by, by making something for them. But um, uh it's um it was far more popular than we anticipated we might have yes. put a limit on it if if we had thought it was going to be um that exciting to people we had a funny we had a funny few things um happen with that so i mean people did some really sweet things we have um a man with a um daughter who's nonverbal autistic and he's basing a card off of her um uh, another man who's basing a card off of his grandmother is like sort of the, as an ally of the the woman who knows what it means to be a friend. Um, I mean, just like so sweet and, you know, people who, you know, pets, um, uh, you know, intended um, partners for life, all kinds of, um, all kinds of people who are using this as an opportunity to be, extra kind to the people around them which is just a wonderful thing to see right now so um you know and you know especially in the middle of you know launching a campaign in the middle of covid it's nice to feel um like a little bit of extra connection to humanity so that was pretty that was pretty great um but yeah it seemed like it seemed like people really we we'd actually followed jamie stegmeyer's advice from his blog and he he said you know Basically, you know, if you're going to offer for people to be in the game, you know, in the in the full full print run copy that everybody gets, you know, just make sure you think that through because he did that, I think, for Viticulture or for one yeah. of them. And he, he ended up with like 100% white people. <laughs> he was like, yeah, that wasn't my intention at all. Didn't want it to be not diverse, but um, but that's where we are. So um, so we we wanted something that would make it, you know, feel really special to people. And um yeah, I had no idea. I mean, the thing is, it's, you know, we're still, I'm creating original art for every card. We're thinking of new gameplay for each. Yeah, every single card is going to have its own unique effect. So we're not doubling up on anybody's, no, no card out there is going to have the same, the same exact effect. So that's, um, 
that's definitely, you know, a challenge for us. So it is putting us through our, our um, game design paces in a little bit of a way. But yeah, no, it's, um, I, we didn't have to sell it at all. It just sold itself. It was crazy. Um, and for, especially for a game that's, you know, people hadn't even tried or tested necessarily yet. Yeah. So. And for maybe setting art aside, cause that can be an expense for some people that aren't doing their own art. Do you, would you still recommend new creators to have a, a tier like that? Or do you think that has to be very, very specific um, to a game? I would say, I mean, I think it probably depends on the game and ours because we have the ally characters. It felt like it made sense. They're a little bit like, um, you know, assistance to the gameplay. And so uh, it seemed like a good opportunity for people. We thought about doing, you know, posters and things like that, but um, that gets into a whole bunch of shipping logistics and stuff. So uh, that, yeah, I thought, I thought it was actually pretty good uh, way to offer a little, a little piece of feeling like you're, you're in it. Um, Yeah, I, I would recommend it. I would just say that it's, uh organizing it and completing all of them is more work than you would uh, <laughs> imagine probably yeah especially yeah. if you're the one doing the art very good and another uh tier that you had was the retailer tier and for some new creators you might get lucky to get one or two people that'll back that or ask you questions about retail yeah. you had a astounding 53 people pledge at the retailer tier so what ended up happening during or after your Kickstarter that you didn't expect to deal with retailers? Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would say probably about 80% of those are international retailers as well, which is a whole extra level of logistics is, right. you know, if they, if they sell through those games and they like it and they want to get more, how do we facilitate that um, without having a fulfillment warehouse in another country that has consistent copies of the game. And if you have copies in another country that gets into tax regulations and stuff. So um, that was a little unexpected. We were thinking, you know, we might get some, you know, local retailers here in Athens, which we did. um, And also that we would get probably some, um, uh, some other people kind of in the surrounding areas, but for the most part, yeah, we did not expect that response. It's since the, um, since the Kickstarter and after we were, we're on GameFound now and we had, I mean, tons of them ordered, you know, 10, 20 copies. Some people ordered 60 copies. So, um, very unexpected and, you know, hugely positive way, but, uh, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's kind of cool because it's, it's almost in a sense, you know, if you know one of these retailers who is, uh, pledged for the game, it's almost like a way you can still get the Kickstarter edition, so, you know, we won't we won't sell it anymore. It's, it, we won't provide it to anybody who wasn't a backer, but the the retailers are backers. And so if you pre-order with them, yeah. they can up their, you know, up their order. So it seemed like, um, you know, anyone who came to us after the campaign and said, hey, we didn't quite make it in. You know, can we still get a Kickstarter edition? We can direct them to the retailers, which, you know, is great because then we can support them. And I feel like that's a that's a big deal right now. Brick and mortar stores are need a little extra love yeah well that is excellent and then if they do sell and like your game then should you produce another one you know that they'll support you so yeah very good yeah and then then the last year i wanted to talk about was your print and play because some people are hesitant about making a print and play at all uh some people think it's not worth it because it's only a few dollars but you had almost 500 people pledge for the print and play which i think was around five dollars or more and so it's basically pure profit. You don't have to produce anything other than the the digital PDF. 
what were the were there any obstacles that, or advice you'd give for a new creator to make a print and play? I would say, uh, so there seems to be no standardized format for them. So, you know, do you do cut lines? Do you, um, do you do fronts and backs together and assume people have a printer that can do fronts and backs? Do you do them on separate pages and then make them cut out twice the stuff? Um, those are a lot of weird things that we really never thought we'd have to think about. And, uh, we just kind of offered every, every possible alternative for people, um, and then the other big one was, yeah, how do you how do you distribute the files? So we just did a you know shared link on Google Drive. Anyone who has the the link can um, can see them. It's a little yeah. unnerving, uh, just like throwing your assets out into the world and saying like here you go. Um, so, but you know it's it's a game about trust. Um, uh, it's a funny thing we when we were at PAX. Um, uh, we had these copies at our booth that we were loaning out. It was just our, you know, production copies or pre-production copies. So they were like 60 or $70 a piece to make. We only had a handful of them and people would come by and say, Hey, can I, can I like, um, give it a try? And we'll say, well, you know, we have space, don't know how many space at the table right now. Everyone's, um, it's all full, but if you want to take one of these copies and go over to the free play area, that's fine. We're like, really? Like, you'll let us just walk away with your game. We're like, yeah, you know, that's like, if, if anything, this process has taught us is that for some reason, this game of betrayal and deception seems to attract a lot of people who are truly and genuinely trustworthy. <laughs> like that, that uh, a little bizarre. Hey? Catch 22. Yeah. Let's you play on the dark side without being dark yourself. Yeah, yeah, and it's and uh, I mean it is it is very unnerving to put your assets out into the world and be like here's you know 500 people who knows who they might share that stuff with. So we've asked them nicely to not you know share beyond their circle. People might you know send it to a printer and say I want to start running some print runs in another language and you know how would we ever know if and especially if it was another country how would we ever litigate that which we couldn't so um that uh that's weird but you know we've we've talked to people and they basically said you know the second your game's out in the world people can just take pictures and scan the game and you know do the exact same thing so you know it it makes it a little easier but um you know if you're worried about uh intellectual property and um counterfeit games that's you know that's always going to be a worry and and there's no there's no getting around that all you're doing in you know give providing your Print and play is um, taking the first step in trust towards the greater gaming community that um, they're going to be worthy of that. And it seems like that has, well, not, you know, I'm pretty new to this, but it seems like that's paid off in that when people get a game that they think is a fake, they alert people. You know, I've seen it on social media. They'll say like, hey, does this look like a fake to you? This is where I got it. Um, And so if there's that level of you know, care and thoughtfulness and trustworthiness in the community, then I think, you know, we can feel good about just um, putting this out there for people. Yeah. No, I think that's a great statement. And I found nothing but trust in the community so far, whether it was sharing art or whether it was sharing gameplay mechanics or sending out prototype copies. Uh, There's one time I thought a game was lost, but it ended up turning up and haven't had it um, any negative experience so far. So I'm with you 100% on that. Uh, and one of the things that can be very leery about creating a board game and putting it out in the world is seeing those first couple of reviews. 
Um, so you had quite a few reviews on your page and, and very positive ones. Is there a reviewer that you were more fond of or um, <laughs> some feedback that you got was that was like kind of a proud moment for you and Adrian? Oh, yeah. Um, so the very the very first review that came in for us. Um, we had we had one podcast that we did that was our first podcast um, that was sort of a friend of a friend um, called the Law Signals podcast, Steve Ormosi, um, who interviewed us. And they they were the first like true strangers that we gave the game to, you know, like we we know someone who knows them, but like we don't really know them ourselves. They yeah. um, played it and had a great time and interviewed us and everything. So that made us feel, you know, like tentatively positive. I mean, there was there was a time at the beginning of starting to market this thing that we were thinking is, you know, is anyone going to like this except us? You know, we play it all the time. It's our favorite game, but it's, um, you know, we don't know if that's just because you know, we designed it for us. So um, then we sent, I, I did a bunch of research into different reviewers and ended up sending a copy to Sequential Planet which is a um, small reviewer, at, at least the, I don't know about all of them, but the, the reviewer that I worked with, uh, Marcus Orchard, is in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. And I, okay. you know, was driving through and met him at his work and handed the the game off to him, talked to him for a little bit. He, um, you know, took his time, played it, and then, um, you know, didn't give us any clues really about the game um uh, just you know his wife betrayed him and she was great at it and stuff like that but um you know wrote a um an incredible review for us saying it was probably his favorite new two-player game um and I mean it was like it was a surreal like I I saw that on my phone I remember like lying in bed and reading it and I was like my hand was like shaking <laughs> with anticipation yeah, of what yeah. this was gonna say um, and then when, when I got through the end of the article, I was like screaming and jumping up and down and just like, oh my God, I can't believe this is how, like we got a glowingly positive review from a complete stranger who reviews games, you know, and doesn't give normally good reviews. Like it doesn't give 9.2 or nine out of 10 or, um, and so that was, uh, that was our first sort of like moment where we're like, oh my gosh, maybe this is going to be a thing. Um, he went on to write a big Reddit post or one that was, um, well-received and, uh, said we were one of his favorite new games of the year. Um, that got us some, um, some followers, which was really helpful. We were just looking at our Kickstarter page and it was like, we got 50 in a day, um, of the notify me upon launch. And I was like, where is this coming from? And then, uh, he texted me and said, Hey, just like posted a review or, um, on uh on reddit and you know it's blown up more than i thought it would so could you you know put your kickstarter um information at the bottom so that people know how to how to get a hold of you so um that was that was pretty amazing the other big one um for us in terms of sort of we i mean we have people we play, paid quackalope for a preview which was not a review you know he wasn't giving a, um very much of opinions he was just showing gameplay and stuff like that that was very helpful very um He's very influential right now, which is great to um, have that kind of audience. But, every day, so. Yeah, um, but then uh, sent a copy out to Germany for Game Together, who gave us that other um, award. And um, they do, you know, all kinds of games and video games and stuff like that. The uh, the reviewer, you know, might be might be a thing of like translating from German into English, uh, but his his words sound so good. <laughs> 
<laughs> it was like a, a master a masterwork of game craft was what he said. Um, never has he played a game that does this mechanic so well or something like that. Um, and uh, I mean, it was just like a, just you know to see a review in German and um, and then translate it to English and read through and um, see just yeah that somebody really um, praising it as a as a work of art was like um, wild absolutely wild that is that is pretty amazing and uh, I'm glad you got such powerful reviews because that definitely is what helped launch it to over that hundred thousand dollar mark it's pretty awesome yeah. Great. Well, you have definitely proven that you have what it takes to make a game, to, to come up with it, to market it, to kickstart it. And you guys are in the midst of um, production and I guess uh, fulfilling it right now. Has it gone out to anybody yet? No, no, it's not. It's not going to for a little while. Our estimated timeline was um, uh, May 2021. We have uh, so we have a lot of materials to make sure that they that get really right in the production process. Um, we're make sure that everything is up to spec. So we're getting in samples. We just got in a sample um, of different card options and um, we're getting um, pictures sent to us from a manufacturer about, uh, you know, our meeples, different uh, screen printing versus heat transfer coloring versus, you know, all kinds of stuff. So we want to make sure that that everything is really perfect before we move forward into the large scale production. Um, and then it's going to be, I mean, we're going to be making probably at the very least 13,000 copies. We're um, hopefully maybe finalizing some localization deals. It's uncertain yet, but um, if we end up getting those, then we'll have to um, have the game translated and, uh, and print those as well. So yeah. Yeah, so it's it, it's got definitely there's a path ahead. Um, it's a lot of work, but uh, yeah, it's it's looking good so far, and um, chugging along. That's and uh, is there something that uh, Distant Rabbit Games has as a follow up to Mantis Falls? Like, obviously, you have a lot of work ahead of you to finish this one off. But what what's going to come next? Or yeah, so um, so we one of the things that we promised as a stretch goal for this one was the interior box art. So um, I don't know that we ever actually told people what we were going to put on the inside of the box. Um, uh, I mean, I don't know. I don't know that we described what it would be, but uh, it's going to be a, a map of the town. Um, very, very detailed, showing every aspect of Mantis Falls and really building out sort of the world building component of it, um, which is not integral to the gameplay at all. Not like, you know, you play other games and, and maps are um a big deal in terms of determining where you're where you're going next or um, what kind of challenges you face. But um, one of our one of our plans for the future is incorporating locations and scenarios into the game. So right now there's there's definitely a lot of variability game to game. Uh, we wanted to really um, up that even farther for the next time and add you know more really like full color art and create like a you know smoky jazz cafe and um a quarry and a mill like a lumber mill um and places that you can kind of like jump off the road and hide out there for a little bit and um yeah so so that's that's one of the one of the things um that we're that we have sort of in the queue for right now excellent 
Yeah. And uh, maybe aside from playing your own game, which it seems like you guys enjoy quite a bit, what would be your um, your follow up, your favorite game that you enjoy playing with uh, two to three players? Huh. Um, gosh, two to three players. I would say uh, so. In the process of doing market research to figure out what was going to make for um, what was what was going to make for real competition versus um, you know what games were not quite like ours because we we were told a lot that we were like Battlestar Galactica um, and neither of us had ever played it because it's out of print very hard to get a hold of very expensive um, yeah. but uh, our local board game cafe rents out games from their collection they have Battlestar Galactica so uh, we rented it and played it um, and uh, I don't know that everyone else agreed with me in the family we played it with our kids um, it was I, it was easily one of my favorite games that we've ever played together but for sort of a weird reason and, I, and I'm eager to play it again um, it's uh, I made a mistake we were playing it over the course of several days so we were playing it like two hours at a time and um, I made a mistake. There's a there's a mechanic in it that lets you you have like a sleeper agent kind of sleeper Cylon right. that can get activated Cylon. in the middle of the game. Yeah. And uh, so at the beginning of the game, you hand out all you know identity cards, and there might be a Cylon or there might not. You contend with all these you know incidents that are coming along and fighting off the Cylons, and then halfway through the game you um, distribute another set of cards, and if you get a Cylon at that point, then you switch teams. Um, so I sort of lost track of which cards were the ones that I was supposed to distribute at the second half and which ones were the ones that were supposed to go back in the box. Um, so I accidentally distributed three UR Cylon cards at <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the midpoint of the second round. And so, um, oh, the funny thing is it was our first time playing. And so I had one of the Cylon cards. Our son had one of the Cylon cards and Adrian had one of the Cylon cards, and none of us knew that. Um, and poor Wendy, our daughter, was um, fight, trying to fight off these Cylons basically all by herself. And we were throwing her under the bus at every opportunity. We were like, I really think it's Wendy. It really seems like it's her. Um, and she was, no one else was fighting us on it. Every time I said that, Adrian was like, yeah, it kind of seems like it's her. And I was like, huh, I've, I'm bluffing, but okay, sure, believe me. Um, <laughs> not realizing that, you know he thinks that he's the only Cylon in the group and uh, Taylor yeah. also thinks But then also we're consulting the manual. And I was like, let me just read the manual aloud just in case one of you guys is a Cylon and you don't remember what you're supposed to do with this phase. So I was like reading it aloud and they were like, yeah, that's a good idea. Definitely read that part. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> and then it became clear that maybe one of the good things to do was to reveal yourself as a Cylon. And so eventually our son did that. And he was like, I guess, I guess this is what I want to do right now. And then I was like, really? And I was like, okay, I messed this up. So I'm just going to pretend I'm not a Cylon. And then Adrian goes like, huh, that's weird. Cause I'm also a Cylon. And then I was like, all right. Yeah. Okay. I'm also. <laughs> and then yeah, but Wendy was completely rightfully justified, but it's like, it's now this big family thing of like every game that we ever play. Um, there's this extra layer of like, are you a Cylon? <laughs> like we always think that I'm going to have accidentally shoveled in Cylon cards to that, um, that other game as well. So I would say I, I loved the mechanics of Ballastar Galactica. Um, and even though it's like $300 to buy a copy, um, I thought, I thought it was a really great strategic game. It's not an option. It's not, not too similar to Mantis Falls, except that um, it is three players. 
Um, it's not two. And it does have a tra hidden trader element, which is the lowest I've ever seen a, a true, you know, style hidden trader game go. And uh, it does have the sort of high strategy of you're you're trying to fight off enemies together. Um, and so that one that one definitely uh, stands out for me. Oh, that that's an excellent story, and um, <laughs> it's my favorite kind of market research is just playing games that are in your genre but not exactly what you want to do because you can learn so much from how they deal with the mechanic or how they deal with uh, components or with mm -hmm. luck or mitigation. It's just so much you can learn just from playing games. So uh, it's great that you did some research with that to help influence your game, but not obviously uh, do your own thing as well. Yeah. Great. And if somebody wants to buy a copy of Mantis Falls when it does come out, you, are you still accepting late pledges on GameFound? We are. Yeah. We have late pledges open on GameFound now. Um, and then when it comes out, We'll have uh, on our website a, a map of retailers where you can find it, but also, you know, have it for sale on our website, Amazon. Uh, yeah, all the standard places. Wonderful. Well, I'll make sure I'll put a link to at least the GameFound account and your original Kickstarter in the notes here in case anybody wants to check out Mantis Falls. Thanks. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Julie. I hope your Kickstarter journey with Mantis Falls and our discussion about it can help inspire and educate some other creators out there to keep working at and making their ideas turn to reality. It's been fun watching how you turned just a game concept with you and Adrian playing over long distance into this $100,000, 6,000-person game uh, creation. It's really cool. So well done. I appreciate that. All right, and for those of you listening to this podcast, if there's one thing you could do to encourage other people to motivate their Kickstarter journeys, just take a minute and a dollar or two support a project that catches your eye today. We can't buy all the cool things we see, but a little bit could help pad their bottom line and help their project move in the right direction. Feel free to subscribe or follow, and we'll hear some more Kickstarter journeys in the future. Actually, the next episode is episode 50, in which uh, there'll be an interview with me by... Uh, a fellow game designer. So I thought that would be fun. Um, stay tuned for that. And thanks again, Julie. Take care. Thank you. You too.